Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Surface for Business devices are designed for work anywhere. Wherever and however you or your teams work or collaborate, Surface gives your organization the freedom to work anywhere. It allows you to retain the control you need to stay secure with built-in security at every layer through chip to cloud protection from Microsoft. Visit www.aka.ms forward slash Surface for Business CA to learn more about Surface for Business devices. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Nicole Smith, founder and CEO of Flytographer in Victoria, BC. Nicole founded Flytographer as a marketplace that connects travelers with hand-picked local photographers for fun and high-quality vacation photo shoots. In six years, she's grown Flytographer into a multi-million dollar business that operates in 300 cities globally, and it's captured more than 2 million memories. It was ranked as one of the fastest-growing startups in Canada by Canadian Business Magazine and called The Future of Travel Photography by Condé Nast Traveler. Flytographer has also appeared on a Netflix show and in the New York Times and on Oprah.com. Prior to Flytographer, Nicole spent 13 years in marketing at Microsoft. She's also a board member at the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Is this your first podcast? This is not my first podcast, no. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just before we get started, I wanted to hear all about your story and talk about uh, Flytographer and, and the way that 
in a in a world that already has too many images in it, really high quality images are are still worth uh, making and doing and arranging. I just want to ask you, what's what's one or two things you want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation today? Because I want to make sure that that, that that we're telling stories that help them. I think one of the things that um, well, I always share with entrepreneurs is um, that. I think a lot of times things that if, if someone has an idea or if you're a new entrepreneur and you're considering starting something, um, there's no clean, obvious roadmap out there that you pick up and follow. There's a lot of instinct. There's a lot of just doing, just, just testing things. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing in, in, that I've found is are you building something that people truly love and people truly want? Um, and if you are and you love what you're building, then you can ride those highs and lows that are inevitably going to be coming down the path and then just keep trying, keep testing. And, um, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll be amazed at what you can, you can build. But as you start, how do you know if it's something people really truly want? Yeah, I think the most important thing you can do at the start is to get in front of your prospects. So understand who is, who am I solving the problem for? Um, and you know, is this something they'd be willing to pay for? And that's a lot of testing. That's like getting out in the field, talking to people, um, that are your prospective customers and doing a lot of tests. And that's how I started photographer off the side of my desk at Microsoft. It was just a lot of test photo shoots in different cities. And, um, in our case, it, uh, you know, the feedback was, um, instant and, and really compelling. And, and so it kind of provided a compass for us and where to go next. Okay, so tell me. The, 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 we'll we'll talk more about the, this whole proving up your idea thing. But, the, but let let's go back and just tell us the story. What led to the founding of Flightographer? Yeah, yeah. So it, it actually goes back to 2011. Um, one day, my boss at Microsoft said, "Hey, I, I need you to go to Paris um, to arrange this video shoot." So um, I flew to Paris, had a crew there, um, and then when when all the work was done, I had these two extra days and just to hang out in Paris. I called my best friend who lives in Copenhagen. She flew down and the two of us um, just were walking the streets. We were soaking up the Parisian architecture and we're having this marvelous time together with no partners, no kids, just the two of us. And we thought, hey, we need to get a, a, a photo to remember this by because, you know, six months from now, um, I want to remember like the magic of this moment. And so we did what you know, a lot of us do, which is first, we took out our iPhone and and did the, you know, the typical selfie. And what we basically had were these two big floating heads, and you couldn't even see where we were behind us. (laughs) Yes, I've Uh, I've been there. (laughs) We've all got those on our phone, you know, we we all do. And so that was, so we did a few of those. And it was just, you know, that's not capturing the magic. And then um, we did what, what, uh, you know, people often do next, which is you look for a trustworthy stranger. Um, you hand them your, your iPhone and you hope for the best. And so <laughs> we did a few of those shots where, you know, you're kind of stiff and like posed and, you know, it's rushed and they take the shot and you look at it and, you know, it's kind of garbage. It doesn't really like you, you got seven chins or your friend's head's cut off. So you, you maybe ask them to do it one more time and they do it another time and it still like really sucks. And so that happened to us. Um, and we just wanted one memory that actually captured the spirit of what we were seeing, what we were feeling. And so luckily the next day we had a local friend and um, we met for coffee. And afterwards, um, I gave her my iPhone. She's an engineer, so she's not a photographer. I just gave her my iPhone and I said, do you mind taking a couple shots of us, but from a distance? So 
kind of more of that wide angle. And so we'd go up on the bridge, she'd stay down on the bank, or we'd go walking down the cobblestones, our backs were to the camera, but she was able to capture all that, you know, incredible Parisian architecture in the backdrop. And that's what I really wanted. I wanted to tell that third character of the story, which was the city. And so after 20 minutes, I looked at my phone and the images she captured, and I had goosebumps because she had captured the spirit of our trip in a way that was impossible without that third-party vantage point. And I thought, number one, you know, this is the best souvenir I'm going to bring back home. I don't want to bring home stuff, um, you know, things. I just want to bring home a great memory that, that brings me back to this moment. And then the second thought I had was, okay, how will I do this again on a future trip? And so that moment was the kind of the, the, the genesis for a photographer. Yeah, that moment in Paris. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember I've, when I first heard of Flightographer, I was that I had trouble with it because it was a new concept. Consumers mm-hmm. using professional photographers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since we now have it, it, the iPhone and, uh, and and some of our other phones, I mean, they're the, they're the best cameras we've ever owned. Uh, mm-hmm. and so you, you think this is, this is so off trend, but then I went on your website at, at, uh, com and I saw some of the pictures that your, uh, uh, your resident photographers have taken and you see the, the mist and you feel the environment and you see that the extra texture that professionalism brings it's really mm-hmm. hard to explain in words on a on an audio podcast, but when you see the photos, you say, "Yeah, these are the pictures that I never got on my trip to Paris or Rome or 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 or, or uh, where else have I been? Uh, Cancun." <laughs> so, so yeah, so so, so I, I I I urge people listening to the podcast if you get a chance, check out the website and see the difference these photos make because it's the difference between eating at a snack bar and actually going into one of those uh, three star uh, Michelin restaurants and mm-hmm. having a meal that you remember for the rest of your life. Well, we like to say that they're wall-worthy memories because, you know, these it's like art. It's it's Your walls can tell the greatest um, adventures of your travels. But the other part of Flytographer is beyond the photo, you're actually spending an hour walking around with a really cool local artist. And so our photographers are all hand-picked. We hire less than 3% of who apply. And so when you walk the streets with Gonzalo in Lisbon, he's going to tell you the best place to get a coffee and, you know, that there's a really cool street fair happening um, at this park on the weekend or taking you to these little pockets of the city that you probably wouldn't find on your own. So that was not part of my original game plan when I launched Flytographer, but within the, you know, the first few months, that feedback just kept coming back from our customers and that, Hey, that like that was such a fun experience walking the streets and learning about the city. And so I I think that's why a lot of us travel is to see how others live. And that's, you know, a big piece of of kind of the flightographer experience is that that local um, knowledge and insight. Right. So the question that everyone will have in mind is what does it cost us to have this location shoot of our dreams? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's actually fairly, you know, priced fairly well for a professional photographer. So we have a flat rate globally. It starts at $250 for a 30-minute session. You get a set number of digitals. You you can use those personally for whatever you like, um, print them, etc. And you get them within five days. Fantastic. And uh, 
so they, they they don't have to present you with photos with, with printed photos. They have, don't have to spend a lot of time um, going in there and altering the photos, right? They just take them and shoot them and send them to you. They so yeah, they would they would do the shoot. They would edit them. Um, they send them to a photographer, and then in your photographer dashboard, you can access your shoots. I mean, we have customers that do ten shoots a year, so they can log into their photographer dashboard and see thumbnails of all their adventures, and we'll host those uh, for people indefinitely. You can also print through photographer, or you can print through Costco. So you have lots of flexibility on the printing side. Right, and how do you get paid? So we, um, photographer takes 40% of the shoe fee and the, the photographer gets the rest. Um, and we, you know, our platform, it's kind of similar to Airbnb where you go on and I know you've been on the site, um, but you can browse by city, browse by photographer, look at the calendar, book someone who's free. Um, and so we'll recommend specific routes around the city. Uh, you'll be able to work with our, our concierge team if you have any questions. And then your photos are delivered through the platform um, post-shoot as well. So we kind of manage everything but the shoot itself. Right, right. And it's funny because you think of wedding photography is the thing you know that most people think of when, when, when they think of professional photographers. Um, and obviously th- those rates are higher, but you know, you mm-hmm. always get the big hearts and flowers album and everything, but we don't tend to think, uh, and then as a family grows with their kids, once when mm-hmm. the kids are three and four, you get a family shot professionally done. And then you do again when it's about, when their kids are about 16 and way too old for it. And then they just, <laughs> you know, j- j- just shrug their way through the session. Yes. Uh, but, but, but you're bringing professional photography back in a way and saying it can be a part of our lives at special times. Mm-hmm. And I find that really yeah. exciting because that's, that's great for the professional photographers, and it's something new for consumers. So it's this double-sided mm-hmm. marketplace where mm-hmm. that the internet helps create, where both sides win. Yeah, we've created a bigger pie. So photographers, it's you know, it's another it's another um, side hustle that they can add. And most of our photographers are professional wedding photographers because they're just the great natural storytellers. Sure. But then they can you know uh, meet a couple from you know Tokyo at nine a.m. on a Tuesday, and we'll you know we'll serve up that 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 job to them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun business to be a part of. Right. So which is the best flightographer photo shoot you ever saw? What, 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 what would make it great? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I could go so many places with that. Um, there's we, only been I mean, hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah. There's only been like, I don't know, 40,000 shoots. So, um, but I mean, the ones that are the most popular um, on Instagram and on our website are the like the the crazy proposal stories. So, um, you know, we just we once had this this guy who um, was proposing in Lisbon. He was actually Canadian, and um, he was really nervous that his fiance would discover the ring. So he dispatched his best buddy two days beforehand to fly to Lisbon with the ring. And he flew two days later, and uh, you know, this guy was serious. And he um, had a, a sort of plans so that the photographer would take their um, photos secretly in this really cool alley with like cool graffiti in, in this area in um, Alfama in, in near Lisbon. And anyways, um, the guy who was his friend hid down the stairwell. And his buddy proposed on top of the stairwell, and the photographer was hiding in another location. And as he got down on his knee, he reached his hand behind his back. The other guy stood on his tippy toes and pushed the ring box into his buddy's hand, and then he presented it 
to his girlfriend and propose. So like, you know, those photos are, are great because not only do we have this great proposal photo, but then like a minute later, his friend emerges and then um, his, you know, new fiance freaks out all over again because like what a wonderful surprise. Right, right. And, and I, I love things that, that, that get people to think creatively so it it it, it, it i mean it's it creates mm-hmm. an adventure it creates uh it it, it draws a, draws out the storyteller in people it's a it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a good good news story is it fun being the the head of photography or is it just work oh my god it, it's the best job ever i mean i can't even tell you like it is so much fun it's not just the photos because you, you know, seeing the photos every day, let me tell you, it's it's like candy. You see these images coming in from, you know, hundreds of cities around the world, people of all ages, race, gender, you know, um, body size, LGBT, like it's so diverse. And you see the common threads of, of love and family and adventure and connection. And it just makes you realize that we're all so much more alike than different, whether it's, you know, the family from Saudi Arabia taking their 10-year-old to Paris for the first time or, you know, a multi-gen reunion in, in Hawaii. Um, you know, our customers are from all over and our photographers are from all over. And, you know, we get to see the, you know, kind of the joyous side of it all. And so it's a lot of fun. And I have a great team here in Victoria of, of 20 people. We have over 550 photographers, I think, around the world who are more like a family. It's, it's a really close-knit uh, community. We visit each other a lot. Um, we have a global meetup once a year where photographers fly in, and we, you know, we just have a lot of fun together. So um, I, you know, it's, it's been the hardest job of my life, um, way harder than anything I've ever done. Um, and there's lots of ups and downs, but uh, I, I love it. I just love it so much. I can't even, yeah, I love it. Right. It, it, it's, 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 makes me sad to hear you say it's been so much work because it sounds uh, like something that has come together uh, mm-hmm. quite well. But t- tell me just about a couple of the, the, the hard things that made stuff tough. Yeah, I think that, I mean, initially the biggest challenge is when you're um, creating a new space that didn't exist before, you have the sort of the, the double challenge of, um, there's no awareness. Um, so people are like, kind of like, I guess, Airbnb, like, you know, 10 years ago, I don't really want to sleep on a stranger's couch. That's weird. It's like, well, I don't want a, a stranger to follow me around with a camera. That's weird. Yeah. So we kind of had to overcome that, um, you know, knee jerk of like, that's not familiar. I, I don't really understand this. So, and then also being a new brand. So people, you know, what is photographer? You know, it's a new brand as well. So I think our biggest challenge in the early years was just um, kind of getting, crossing the chasm, if you will. You know, we had some early adopters who really got it right away and and loved it. Um, And now we're, you know, we we hit product market fit pretty early. But, you know, now we're getting to the point where there's more mass adoption and and people are seeing this as, oh, okay, I get get why you do that. Um, But in the early days, it was hard on both sides of the marketplace. It was hard for me that that first year when it was just myself doing it at night and weekends, convincing photographers to join us because they're like, well, what is this racket? (laughs) What's this all about? And then, you know, on the other side, on the demand side, you know, getting customers to feel comfortable enough to give it a shot. And so that's been, that's been probably our biggest challenge in the early days. Nicole, tell me a bit about you. Where did you grow up and how did you think you'd be making a living in your adult life? (laughs) <laughs> um, I grew up in on Vancouver Island, so Victoria, BC, which is 
pretty much as far west coast as, as you can get in Canada. The best west um, coast. Yes. Yeah, we don't like to get that out too uh, widely, but uh, it's um, yeah, it's a wonderful place to, to grow up. And um, my grandfather was a huge traveler. He would um, leave for a year at a time with my grandmother and go to, you know, um, you know, 25 countries. So I grew up hearing all his travel stories and seeing wow. all his slides and um, just, you know, being excited at the prospect of, of traveling and getting off the rock as they call Vancouver Island, and seeing the world. So travel was something that um, always I was always curious about as a child. Did But you, you worked for Microsoft. Tell us a little bit about what you did there. Yeah, so I um, actually lived in Seattle for five years and uh, worked um, at the uh, at the mothership, as they call it. Right. And then um, post-kids um, moved back to Canada and um, became a consultant for the same team at Microsoft. So the nice part was I got to, you know, take the float plane down to Redmond once a month and meet with my teams, but was mostly working out of my house at that point. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it was great. And so, but but did you ever did you feel you had a calling to be an entrepreneur at some point? Did, did were you looking for an opportunity, or did this one just strike you out of the blue and ruin your career? <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> I I was never one of those people that was like I want to be a CEO or I want to start a, a startup. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of ideas though, like just that would kind of kick around in my brain. But I I was happy. I had a great job as a marketing manager at Microsoft. I loved the work. I loved the I loved working for Microsoft. Um, you know, I had good balance with my, my kids in school. Uh, I, yeah, it was never even in my consideration set. And so, so it just lured you, lured you out of there, but how long, how long did you balance it as a side hustle while still working for the mothership? So when I, when I got back, um, to Canada after this this trip, the, where, where the idea happened, I, I, I thought about this idea for nine months. So it would literally just kind of burst out of me daily with these little ideas and thoughts. And I would keep suppressing it and pushing it back down. And <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't have time for this. You know, like my life is calm. You know, I, I'd had a divorce like three years earlier. And so like everything was kind of just back to calm and good and smooth. And the last thing I needed was the disruption of, 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 of a startup and all the uncertainty that would bring. So for nine months, I consciously suppressed it. And I got to the point where it was just like too big to contain. And so I said to myself, okay, you're turning 40 in two months. If you don't do something about the startup idea, um, then you're just gonna, you're gonna put it to bed forever. And so uh, I kind of gave myself this artificial deadline um, and, cause I just couldn't, you know, it's driving me crazy. And so then I started taking the first steps towards photographer and I just I never looked back from that point. It was too so, big to contain. You say was, that, that that's beautiful. That the the, the yeah. urge, the opportunity, the, yeah. the, the 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 excitement of it. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and 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 so for the first, like, so that was sort of the summer of 2012, I guess, and um, and then I started doing all these test shoots. So I'd have friends traveling to different cities. They'd literally look up photographers on Craigslist and you know vet them and. Um, hope I wasn't throwing my money down the down the drain, and I had enough um, sort of test cases where my friends would meet up with this local photographer, and I'd give them some feedback, and then learn from it, and then the next one I you know share more feedback, and 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 so on and so on, um, and I officially launched uh, our website um, in March of 2013. So that was you know kind of, and I, I was still you know doing this at night and on weekends um, when the kids were sleeping. 
So it wasn't really until halfway through 2014 where I hired like a contractor to help me a bit and, um, and then decided like, I, I can't keep this up because photographers, I'm not doing everything I can there. I'm probably not being a, like the A plus employee and I'm totally failing in, in the parented category because it was just so <laughs> overwhelming. So I thought something's got to give. And, um, I just, you know, decided to, um, quit, um, and focus fully on photographer. I actually ended up, uh, selling my car at one point to like keep funding the business. Cause obviously I wasn't getting paid at that point. And when you're 40 and got a couple of kids, you can't just live off ramen and couch surf and, and make it all fly. Exactly. You can make different choices. And so it was a time where, um, I went in with my eyes fully open and I remember this one conversation I had with my, with my dad, who's awesome, but obviously like, you know, out of love was like, are you, you know, who's saying to me, are you, are you sure this is the right thing? And you just sold your car and you know, you're not making money and you've been at this for uh, like a year now. Um, like what's next? And I said to him, I'll never forget this. I said, dad, I would, I would sell my house next. Like that is how certain I am about where this is going. And, and I think I would have, I luckily didn't have to. And we closed some financing the next year and, um, you know, things have just taken off since then. But, um, there was like this crazy train inside of me that I wasn't getting, I wasn't going to get off. So. Right. Right. I'd love to go back to a something you said earlier, which is a, 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 an entrepreneur in their 40s with children. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not the archetypal startup entrepreneur. And all the gurus say your 20s are the time to to really aim to hit it out of the ballpark because by the time you're 30, if you've got a mortgage, if you've got a partner that you have responsibilities to, if you've got kids, mm-hmm. then then it becomes so much harder to put in that time and mm-hmm. relentless effort to yeah. to take what's a good idea and navigate it through those the, the, through 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 the the tough times of those early days so 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 how did you do it uh, cuz cuz yeah. it's not supposed to happen <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> you know way. the so yeah, I would get a lot of people telling me, you know, if you're not serious unless you quit your job and go full throttle into this from from day one. You get get advice from different people based on their lens and what what they know. So I kind of distill all this information. And what what I knew was, I I I coin it like the sidepreneur. So the sidepreneur being you still working full time, but then you've got your side hustle and you're working on it on the side until you really see that you've got that MVP or it's got legs and it's 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 going to take off. Um, so that was, that was my reality for, for that time period of a year and a, and a half or so where I knew that I had to keep putting food on the table. I needed to keep, you know, my, my, my job up, um, and then just make, you know, chip away at making a progress and <clears throat> get to the point where I have enough confidence that, uh, I think I can dive into this head first, but let me tell you my social life, <laughs> there was no social life. There was. <laughs> I stopped, I used to be a very competitive squash player. I stopped playing squash. Um, you know, Saturday nights, I just, you know, my, your head is so full as a startup entrepreneur. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to this, that you sometimes go into these, these funks where you're at a party and all you can think about is your startup. And it's like, it's like 
in your mind all the time and, and you sort of lose your social skills temporarily where you're trying to make small talk with people but then you're like oh like what if I you know ran this marketing campaign and you just you know doodle off in your head so um, that time period I was I, I feel like I was a, a bit of a zombie but uh, it's a chapter and so you just got to know it's a chapter it's not forever. Right, right. You must have picked up some pretty interesting coping strategies, balancing mm-hmm. kids and a startup and, and a mortgage. Um, mm-hmm. uh, can you share any hacks that helped you get through the day, whether it's about the business or about how to get the sitter to stay for an extra four hours or whatever? <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think um, for me, the um, the there's a couple things that worked for me. Like the probably one of the, the most important ones was um, exercise and and meditation. Um, even though you know, like I said, I couldn't play squash. If I could go for a walk or I could just do a quick workout, um, it just would bring my stress level down significantly. Same thing with meditation. So I think those are two tools that every startup founder should have in their back pocket. Um, but the other part, the secret to sort of surviving that whole crazy zone was you really need to put together a SWAT team of people in your life. And in my case, that meant grandparents, um, babysitters, um, friends, like good friends that I knew could take my kids after school if I had something come up. Uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty and chaos when you're in that stage. So making sure you've got um, a support network start uh, set up around you with people who understand what you're trying to do that it's just a chapter and that that they have your back I, I I'm really grateful I've got wonderful parents here wonderful friends and um, I don't know if I'd be where I am today with without their help in the early days yeah fantastic there's uh, well, uh, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village she wasn't actually referring mm-hmm. to entrepreneurs but I think she was right about yeah. that anyway yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about Flytographer today how many employees do you have uh, what mm-hmm. uh, what what uh, yeah. what kind of growth rate are you growing at? If you can share that with us, are you still growing? Yeah, we're we're growing tremendously. Um, yeah, so wow, we've been growing uh, really aggressively since that first year, and um, you know we're on track to do over seven million dollars this year in sales. And so for us, it's been uh, really focusing on the channels um, that work for us, and 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 those are like you know, repeat customers, really nurturing our repeat customers that come back, um, word of mouth referrals, because as we talked about this, you know, the top of the podcast, people that don't know what this is all about, the best way to educate them and spread the word is through seeing their friends' photos and hearing their friends talk about it. So those are some channels that really work for us. And then the other thing that we're really excited about right now is influencers. And so we're seeing, um, you know, on Instagram specifically, or travel bloggers that try um, try photographer and 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 share their photos and um, you know expose us to their audience. Um, again, it's like that trusted source that you can visually see. Oh, okay, so they did it. You know, that's what their photos look like. Here's what they had to say about it. Maybe it's not so risky. Maybe I'll give it a try. So it kind of has been a great way for us to kind of normalize the space in general. Um, and create uh, lots of social proof. Right, right. So, so what's the role of influencers in the company? Are they um, actually? Uh, do you like give them free photo shoots in order to start getting the conversation going? Yeah. So we we work with um, you know lots of influencers from around the world. 
um, and we give them a free photo shoot so they can experience photographer. We don't ever pay anybody, but it's uh, here, try us out on your next trip um, and let us know what you think. And so what often happens is they um, will have an amazing experience and they'll post their photos and share it with their, with their audiences. And then their audiences get curious and, um, you know, we, we usually use a code to track it so then they can, um, you know, we can attribute it to, to, to them like a, like a discount code to share with their followers. But I think it's a, it's an area for us that we've seen a lot of success just in terms of direct sales, but also that more halo effect of, oh, okay, I see, I see um, people are doing this now and it's not this weird, wacky thing. <laughs> That's great. I, I've, I've heard of a, sort of a growing backlash against influencers for being these people mm-hmm. who coast the world on freebies and and <laughs> and post glamour shots. But but uh-huh. but it's actually worked for you. They they they've they've done a good job of a, of explaining the value or living exemplifying the value proposition. Yeah, and I think it it, it depends on like we're really cautious about who we work with. Like in terms of influencers, it has to be someone that you know, um, has a, you know, a lot of trust with their audience. And so we carefully vet who we partner with, but, um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, people are looking for recommendations based on people they trust. So that's either your friends and family coworkers, or if you follow, um, like on Instagram, a lot of our audience is women, probably 85% of our customers are women. And a lot of them spend time on Instagram and they have their favorite people that they follow for lifestyle advice or, you know, work advice and, those um, those are the kinds of relationships that that we find we see the most success with. Right, Nicole, I understand that you do have some concerns about the new "do it for the gram" culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a narrative that we want to be a force for good in, and obviously, there's certain insta famous photos and spots that a lot of people are are wanting to capture when they travel. But um, you know. We think it's our responsibility and, you know, it's kind of a big player in this space to provide people with options and other things that they can capture that don't um, necessarily um, disrespect local cultures or disrespect local customs or landmarks or people. And so our photographers on the ground are, you know, really aware of this and um, find other ways to show people places they can shoot that, you know, um, don't. Uh, disrupt any of the uh, kind of the the local um, situation so I can give you lots of examples but the like the lavender fields in Provence is a great example where instead of trampling on the lavender and upsetting the farmer you you know take the shot from uh, across the street or down the alley and do it in a way that you still get a beautiful photo but you're being really mindful of the community that um that you're stepping into. So for us, that's that's part of um, a series that of blog posts that, that we've written that talk about other ways to make sure you're capturing great memories and, and great spots um, a little more off the beaten track, but in a very respectful way. Right, right. Very good. Listen, you mentioned earlier about getting a financing. I'm wondering, you have a service company, you have no assets. How did you get um, a, a financing for your business? So we raised um, a couple of rounds. We raised an angel round and we raised a seed round about a year ago. And we raised it based on the traction that we're seeing. Based on traction? That never happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we actually, yeah, we, we can say, hey, we've brought in this much money and we've 
seen this growth curve and the market's this big and we're first to market. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a rocket ship about to explode. So yeah, we've had some great investors come on board and, um, and help, you know, kind of take Playtographer to the next level. You make it sound easy. It couldn't have been that easy. No, it was definitely not easy. <laughs> definitely not easy. No, it was, um, yeah, it was Sisyphean to say the least in the beginning, especially the first angel round where we didn't have a lot of traction um, at that point. It was more of the concept and some early indicators. Um, and even the second round too, it's just, uh, I think what, what we did show at the end of the day was, was traction and opportunity. Um, but the people that came in on our first round were mostly customers, people that had actually done the service, loved really? it and really bought in. So, uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how we got the first round done. And who led the second round? We didn't have a lead for the second round. We had the same investors come back in um, for the second round, and we brought on some uh, new angels as well and um, people that were kind of more uh, tech investors uh, versus the first round. Ah, sounds really interesting. Now, I know the first time that I encountered Flightographer was when you were part of a cohort a couple of years ago with uh, the... The, the scale-up program at the Lazaridis Institute in Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And uh, just wondering if you could tell me, that was sort of a year-long program. You get together once a month with a bunch of other very promising companies, and they, the point is that they expose you to experts and Silicon Valley people and everything who can help you learn how to scale. So was the mm -hmm. financing, did that possibly result from what you learned at the, uh, at the Lazaridis program? I mean, it definitely was one ingredient and, and helped a lot. The best part of the Lazaritas program was you got to meet startup founders at the same stage of growth, going through the same problems and challenges. And so it was a great network, but also you had these incredible uh, mentors and advisors that you could call up anytime. Um, and I remember we, we had a, one contact with somebody who owned a marketplace in, that was around massage massages. And so his business was very similar to mine. And so I'd be like, what software did you use for this? Or how did you, you know, address this pro problem? And just having, you know, those doors open really quickly through Lazaritas helped us solve problems a lot faster and also see around the corner a little bit so we could be warned on what was ahead. Wow. You've had a lot of adventures along the way. One of them, of course, was going on Dragon's Den and you turned down the <laughs> dragons. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, that was interesting. So we had just closed our angel round, and I got the call out of the blue from Dragon's Den like a month later. So they we didn't really you. need money cool. at that point. They called us, and they said, hey, do you want to come and film in a week in Toronto? <laughs> yes. And so I was at first like, no, I don't, I don't think so. But then, um, you know, I realized what a great opportunity is for exposure for the brand. Exactly. So, so many entrepreneurs on the show. don't get that. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. You get a million eyeballs on your brand. And um, I was actually really curious to work with Michelle Romanoff because I, I really admire her. Um, and she made an offer and I would have taken it. But then um, Joe came in and then they upped the percentage too high and it just didn't make sense. Um, and so I ended up turning the offer down. Um, but it was a whirlwind because we basically had three days to write a script, um, build a set and fly to Toronto. And, 
um, it, yeah, I was, I remember my mouth went so dry when I was standing with a thousand lights on me and the dragons were staring me down. I couldn't, I was like cotton mouth and, uh, yeah, I just never forget that experience. It was super fun. I actually brought my 10 year old son and he handed out, um, collateral to the dragons on stage. So that's immortalized nice. in Netflix. And yeah, it was, I, I highly recommend doing it. It was, a, it was a great, a great experience for us. Have the, I, I'm struck by the idea that you brought your son in on it. Have, have you found ways to make the business sort of a family affair with so that it's not always an ordeal and something to be rolled eyes at? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's the photographer competes for my attention a lot, right? And so I think, you know, it's so important for you to bring them into the conversation and make them feel apart, whether it's a micro decision like, hey, which photo do you like better for this website? Or, you know, ask them little questions where they can feel like they're participating. But um, in the summer of 2018, I actually took both my sons to Europe for three weeks and we did a nine city photographer meetup roadshow where we went, you know, carry on styles to different cities almost every other day and they got to meet all of our local photographers in like Lisbon and Dublin and Paris and Rome and really see um, the community of amazing people that are out there and you know get a little sneak peek into what mom does and so it's opportunities like that where I can you know bring them along which obviously doesn't happen very often or bring them into some you know fun little decisions so that it's not this thing over there that's just taking me away from them but it's their company too we're all part of this together i think that makes so much sense that's beautiful um tell me what does the future look like for for nicole smith and for flightographer you got some great new plans um we do have some great new plans um you know we we have big dreams with flightographer and you know we want to be a billion dollar beloved brand one day and uh really all about um, your trusted partner in memory. So we're starting off with, with vacation um, photography, but uh, we're moving into these adjacent verticals. We're uh, already in one of them, which is providing commercial photography for brands that want to shoot in multiple locations. So uh, we started testing that in the fall, and we have a number of clients where they'll say something like, hey, I need a shoot in these seven cities around the world, and we'll work with them and coordinate that. So that's sort of, you know, one of the steps on on, on the way there. But we're going to continue to expand into other photography verticals and um yeah, so so that's the direction we're going in. That's very exciting. We'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Um, just to close it out, I'm wondering if there's any th- other thoughts you have on uh, advice for women entrepreneurs in particular or for, mm-hmm. you know, general generic entrepreneurs of any description. Because I think, I think women entrepreneurs face uh, some separate issues. So maybe if you have one for the women and one for everybody else, we can close out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think for um, for women, my biggest piece of advice is just to dream a lot bigger. Uh, for me, I never, like I think I said earlier, I never ever imagined being a CEO. It wasn't even on my on my mind. And I think that we artificially sealing ourselves. Um, and there's so much opportunity out there. So for all the women out there, you know, dream bigger, and then the bigger you become, then other women coming up behind you can see that and imagine themselves, and it just becomes this like amazing network effect. Um, and then in terms of general entrepreneurs, I think my, my best piece of advice is if you're going to start a startup, you better make sure it's something you love because you're going to be doing this for probably seven to 10 years. And in those dark days and those challenging times, 
if you really love what you're doing, what you're building, and you surround yourself with an awesome team, um, you know, the persistence will stay and you'll, you'll, you know, the tenacity will, will be in there. If you, if you're not super pumped about it and just doing it for the money, um, it, it's going to be a lot harder. Nicole Smith, this has been a terrific conversation. Um, it's, it's so great to talk to someone who, who loves what they do. You've created something entirely new and that's pretty rare. And so, so that's very exciting. And the whole idea that you're dreaming a lot bigger and encouraging others to dream a lot bigger is so exciting. I've never heard of a goal as well articulated as the goal to be a billion dollar beloved brand. So having that focus, I think, is great. And I, I, I wish you uh, good luck in getting there, though I don't think you'll need it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.